And welcome back to another episode of the Hero Ball Podcast. My name is Richard and I'm here with two of my good friends, Ethan and Elkin. Ethan, how are things going out there for you in Heatland? Well, in Heatland via Portland, things are all right. Um, League Pass does me a great favor and I get to watch the Heat lose. Occasionally win, but you know what? All, yeah. all things are good. I'm enjoying the wins. I enjoy the losses. You know, I had faith in Dion. He missed the shot against Denver, but we move on, and we're going to beat the Clippers today. How about that, Elkin? Wow. Bold prediction there. Bold prediction. See how it works out for you. If anything, most likely you guys are just going to do your usual 20-game uh, run in January, 30-game run, and then get that uh, get the 10th seed, not make the playoffs, and get a middle-of-the-pack pick. All right. Mm. That is your heat update. Shots fired. Uh, now that's brought to you by the, their savior, Kelly Olenek. So our topics today are way too early disappointments of Eastern and Western Conference teams. So the first one in the East that I want to bring up are the Celtics. So uh, I'm pretty sure you said disappointments, though. Uh, I meant to say there are some good teams and some bad teams. But thank you, Richard. Not always a disappointment. Don't worry, guys. Not all the teams are disappointed. We're not that type of morbid podcast. So the first team started off a little morbid, won't even lie. The Celtics, first game of the season, five minutes in. Oh, crap. Here goes the season. But here they are at seven and two. One of the first things that stuck out to me that I saw being an Al Horford mesh. Honestly, that's been one of my favorite. Just watching him do pick and rolls, watching him do dribble handoffs, seeing just Al Horford doing the pick and pop. Al Horford. I know he's been doing this for years. He's been getting better, but I feel like this year, and if you guys have it on you, his three-point percentage seems to be hitting them at a higher rate. But I like how those two are meshing. I don't know how you guys have felt about those, but I really like those two. Yeah, yeah, Horford's hitting his threes at a higher rate. He's shooting 46% on the season this year, Ooh. which is um, obscenely good, and it's on three 3.3 attempts per game. So the, your eyes are not deceiving you there. Okay, now, uh, he Horford is playing very well, as he usually does, just, you know, middling around, getting you some points, getting you some rebounds, and making open shots. Well, I, I haven't watched a whole lot of Celtics games uh, as of late, so I can't really speak to, to Kyrie and Horford. But, you know, with everything that I've been seeing, like, you know, I've been seeing that Horford's really been playing. I know last year Celtics fans are really kind of disappointed with him because, like, oh, we're paying him all this huge money, and he's not – He's not a defender. He's not doing it, but he's been. But it seems as though he's been picking it up and playing really well on on both ends of the floor. I mean, and that's one thing. And this is probably just me just watching a lot more games this year. But I just noticed just what he's doing more. And, and if you watch him, I think a lot of Celtics fans were expecting a twenty and ten guy. But if you've seen him in his career, he's never been a twenty and ten guy. But he's been a guy who can give you like a positive net rating when he's on the floor. He's going to be able to stretch the floor and he'll be bringing defense and offense and he can actually handle the ball at the top of the post and i think that works out just fine as far as especially when you lose a player like gordon hayward it works out fine because he, him and Kyrie can go back and forth and you also start including some of the other players and they're doing all of this the seven and two start all without marcus morris whoever put that in i don't know if that's a big thing or not but rich what do you think is that a big thing to do this or what marcus morris brings to the team well, here's here's the issue though with um and and I you know Marcus Morris coming from my team the Pistons but as I I'm I'm okay with him being gone personally like Ooh. I'm I'm glad that he's not on our team he was a great contract a, real, a guy who you'd love to have in the locker room but from mm -hmm. an offensive standpoint 
the way that he um, dominates, like his favorite shot is a long fadeaway too. The worst shot you pro- pro- probably could possibly shoot. That that's his shot. A long hey fadeaway. Tell that to Kobe Bryant, all right? <laughs> well, well I mean, exactly. We're, we're in a new era, though. We're in a new era where that's not the shot that you take. And um, you know, I was following a couple of Boston beat writers, and like his first game, his like his first shot mm-hmm. was a long fadeaway too. His Why second not? shot, same thing. And so, like, shoot your shot. I'm okay. Like, I wonder if they they started off strong without Morris there for a reason because I, I just hope that they don't play him too much. I mm-hmm. like that they're giving the these young guys minutes. I like that they're getting giving Tatum a lot of minutes, and I think that they should continue to do that. And Morris should be a guy maybe that comes off the bench because I'm okay if he's if he's coming off your bench taking those shots, but if he's in your starting lineup, that's taking shots away from from Kyrie and other guys that that really should be getting them. I think something I want to mention here is with Hayward getting hurt, it, you you kind of would would have thought you really needed Morris's minutes to to yeah. cover up for the problems happening. Mm-hmm. But what I think is going to what I think has come out of this is it forced Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to really be the an emphasis on offense and mm-hmm. also just to play minutes. And so yeah, while well, you never want a guy like Hayward to get hurt, obviously, and you. You know, ideally, don't want your players injured and like and missing games, but Tatum and Jalen Brown are are really good players. Looking like right now, like they're playing confidently and effectively, and that that's something that I don't know if it happens this early in the season if those two things, Morris and Hayward, being out. And I think, I mean, that's a good point that you bring up is that they're getting all this time, and that's one of the few rare positive moments about it. And I'm kind of on board with Richard here. I think it would make more sense to keep or to bring Morris off the bench. For me, that would especially boost up their second unit because I still don't like their second unit all that much. But if you keep a guy like Morris coming off, I think him playing against second units of other teams, he was going to do damage. I think he can give you between 10 to 15 points. And that's what you want. You want to boost up that second unit. And for me, I'm wondering how much we're going to see Tatum and Jalen Brown Develop. I know it's Jalen Brown's second year, but by the time we're done with this year, uh, we know Hayward's gone for the entire year. Where do we expect them to be? I mean, not just stats-wise, but I'm talking about NBA players. Do you guys see him as far as these guys are solid starter players, future all-stars, future superstars? What do you think we'll see out of them? I mean, I'm not sure if we're if we can, you know, one year in begin thinking, oh, well, these guys are yeah. going to be, you know, the mm-hmm. next uh, I don't know, wave of. Kevin Durant, Paul George, and those guys, but you can yeah. you can at least right right now. I mean, they've they've been getting big minutes on a team that's leading the East right now, seven and two, mm-hmm. and so at at the very minimum, they are playing at the level as NBA starters on a good team should be. Uh, I you know I wonder and you hope that th- them getting lots of minutes will further their development. And when Gordon Hayward's back next year, uh, these guys now have the experience to begin to. You know, really become a formidable team, and who knows what happens next year if LeBron's even there. Maybe, maybe the Celtics are going to be the team in the East after this. I'm looking at some advanced stats by uh, Basketball Reference. It's percentage of field goals by distance, and looking at Jalen Brown's breakdown is 37% of his shots are basically dunks and layups, and then only 13, and then five and five are like the like you know floater range and then mid mid range, and then long two. Uh, 40% of his shots are coming from three. So what I want to uh, talk about there is 
that 40% of his shots from three and 37% coming at the rim, meaning he's not settling for bad shots. That's something that I really like about that little stat breakdown there. So you're saying he's the, he is that he is the anti-Marcus Morris. Yeah, I was uh, the reason I the reason I came to this <laughs> hey, here. The reason I came to this is because I wanted to see what his breakdown was, but I'm going to have to go back to a different season to see what his would be because he hasn't played enough games to uh right right to be on his list. For sure. No, and that's and that's fair enough. I mean, it, it is too early, but you are seeing at least you're seeing the right things. That's that's what you want to see. And then if you're Celtics, you're moving forward. You're like, man, we're getting all this and it's great. But then if Hayward was here. And we can somehow get these guys, they probably would not be at the same level, but approaching the level, where do we see them as far as, like, how do the Celtics think themselves? Are we definitely better than the, than the Cavaliers then at this point, if these guys are playing like this? Or do you guys think they're still going to be either neck and neck with the Cavs or still second fiddle? This, even if the Cavs, if LeBron stays in Cleveland, I think this is the last year that LeBron has a distinct advantage over this team. That's my Ooh. thoughts. Ooh. Yeah, I th- I think that I mean obviously you've you've seen nothing with I- Isaiah Thomas that he's not been able to get on the floor and so I mean the Cavs the Cavs issues aren't aren't offense though right now and so Isaiah is not really going to be bringing any help for that their their issues are defense but at the end of the day you still have LeBron James and LeBron James in the playoffs when he's when he's able to get that extra rest I I don't know how you can say that they're going to be able to overcome him in the playoffs as of yet so I think he, they're still second fiddle. I mean, but in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of LeBron James teams in the past. Which ones have been done so good? And sometimes I think of those Cavs teams, 08, 09, and 2009, 2010. The one that they lost to the Magic, and the next one lost to the Celtics. And I think about those times. You can even go a little bit before that where, yeah, he did good. He did his thing against the Magic. He almost averaged 49-9 against the Magic, for goodness sake. And you see all of this. I think LeBron still has the ability to do all that. But I think this year's team, his, this year's Cavaliers, their defense is old. It's still bad, but to me it feels worse. To me, And I would have to look at the stats on basketball reference right now going through some of these teams. And overall, everything seems worse. It seems like obviously players got older, players got slower. You're trying to integrate new players. And Isaiah Thomas, like you said, isn't going to help out. So I think he's more vulnerable than he has been this year. That's my take right now. I think he's more vulnerable than he has been in previous years. Well, I think that you know early on they've been doing a lot of roster switches. Like they they've been mm-hmm. throwing uh, you know random lineups out, and if you have different lineups, the defensive communication between them is not going to be as good. And so you would assume that they would, you know, I would expect that they would be worse on defense this year to begin with than in previous years, just because you don't have that consistency of having your guys who are comfortable with each other on defense, and so. You know, I don't know. And how how many times can you get rid of a terrible defensive point guard in Kyrie Irving and somehow get worse at defense by having Derrick Rose <laughs> and Jose Calderon? Like how 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 many times does that happen? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, anytime that does happen, you have to take advantage of it though and sign those two. That's what you need to do. <laughs> yeah, basically they got rid of Kyrie and then they got the only three point guards that are worse at defense on their team now. And so <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but priorities. Uh, all right. Uh, so next team. I'm on here. In the words of our uh, Ethan Huffman, a team of basketball players. They have a bunch of NBA basketball players. Orlando Magic. They are currently six and three. So I was not as optimistic as you guys were when it came to the Magic. 
Um, we can see Richard Davidson is playing strong this year for the Magic. I do what I can. I've been playing the four, and I've been increasing my my three-point range. I've been knocking them down. Oh, so let's let's discuss that a little bit, Richard. How have you been feeling playing the four in that chain? For, for, real quickly, for you, those of you who don't know, Richard is Aaron <laughs> Gordon. I, yeah, just, I have a slight resemblance to Aaron Gordon. Um, just a little bit. Except for I am not six foot. Nine or whatever he is, I, I I'm about you know about six foot. But other than that, I'm pretty much Aaron Gordon. We just and, have to realize this is not a visual medium yeah, for, the, for exactly. the audience, and so calling calling Aaron Gordon Richard Davison doesn't uh, yeah. doesn't fly so well with some people know. who don't know us. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But anyway, yeah. So like, first of all, Gordon, Aaron Gordon's playing the uh, position he should have been playing on all along. He's getting minutes at the four. And not only like he should have been getting minutes the four in previous seasons, but not only is he getting minutes there, but he has been able to shoot the three point shot at a much higher clip. He's been, and basically, if, if he's such a ridiculous athlete that if he now has this, you know, ability to shoot and spread the floor, man, on offense, it's it's hard to stop him. I mean, how if if you, if you sag off him, he's gonna knock down a three in your face. If you play up on him. He's so athletic that he can get by you and just go and dunk it. And so he's really putting defenders in a bind with this newfound shooting. Yeah, he's only shooting 58% from the three. I'm sure that's 100% Good. sustainable. Good. I mean, obviously, obviously not. But at the same time, he's not shooting 25%. And and I don't know. I, I'm, I think that uh, obviously this may not be a sustainable start for the Magic. But I do think that, you know, if you're now not having a – a black hole on of shooting from your from Gort, from Aaron Gordon and Alfred Payton, then you know your offense a lot a lot a lot improvement there. Well, certainly, but then I'm trying to think of this. Then um, from what I saw, I think October 21st is when Payton got injured. I've watched Alfred Payton play. I've watched him develop with Aaron Gordon. They came around close to the same time, and what seen. If this Magic team feels more fluid. I mean, you have Fournier is doing his thing. He's doing better. Vucevic, he's doing his thing. I mean, he's always done his thing. But does this team, does it have a better offense without Alfred Payton on there? And I know, of course, Alfred Payton's lack of shooting really hurts him. But does it, do they have a better offense now? Yeah. <laughs> Alfred Payton's not very good at offense. And he's not even that good at defense. He just tries hard. So what do you do with him then at this point? You trade him. <laughs> well, I mean, who who would be in the market to uh, – well, who, first of <laughs> all, who do you trade him for? Eric yeah. Bledsoe. Eric Bledsoe. Oh, boy. Now, have you been have you been able to, like, work anything out on the trade machine and, and get anything to, like, uh, mesh? Because obviously Alfred Payton and Eric Bledsoe, there are different contracts and, and levels. And so, so – so this is a trade that could work in terms of salaries working. Um, uh-huh. It's Eric Bledsoe and Jared Dudley for Biombo and Peyton. I think the main problem with that trade is you, the, they would probably the the Magic would want a center, another center, but maybe they can find one on the scrap heap somewhere because Biombo mm-hmm. probably shouldn't play all that much for you because he can't he can only dunk and get in the way of people. He's not even that good a shot blocker. Man, yeah. that that that. 
that playoff run that he had, man, that just really got him some minutes. Yeah, yeah, he got got some money. I mean, man, he, he did it against Tristan Thompson, another guy who just gets in, get, gets rebounds and gets in the way on defense. Yeah. So, yep. congratulations. We call that that's called the Jerome James uh, Award, right there. Jerome James was a basketball player in the final of his contract. Seattle SuperSonics had an amazing run with them in the playoffs, and then New York Knicks signed him to a massive, I think, seventy eighty million dollar contract. After that, I think he averaged close to about, I think it was like five, six points per game with a few rebounds. It's going to happen. But if I'm them, though, at least the future is bright. What I've seen is they've always been bad enough that they're going to get in the lottery, but they're, never, but they're never bad that bad that they get a top three pick. I don't know why. It feels like for the longest time the Magic have been between the number four pick and the number ten pick. And at this point, I'm just like, what are you going to do if you're just going to – you're either going to lose or start getting better, but at least – they have a foundation. I think Frank Vogel is a, is a good coach. I liked him when he was here in Indiana, and I think he really developed a lot of the players that were here. I'm talking about like Hibbert, Paul George, even though Hibbert's bad now, but when in his heyday he was a defensive anchor to that team, at least they're looking up. And the 6-3 star, I don't know how sustainable it is, but I think that they can meddle around and still be a feisty team for the rest of the season. This is the trade that I found that I think is the best for both teams. It is the Magic getting Eric Bledsoe and Tyson Chandler, the Suns mm. getting Biombo, Hazonia, and Peyton. Mm. No picks. Like no I like picks. No I do, picks. I I first of all, if you are if you're Phoenix, you're getting you have enough offense with um uh you know with with Devin Booker as it is. Although you may not want to have uh, your future. Of having you know Alfred Payton and Josh uh, Jackson not being able to shoot, but you know with that you're able to get rid of two bad contracts. If well, not really bad contracts. you're able to get rid of a get rid of Tyson Chandler who is just making a lot of money on a team that is terrible. What's the point of that? And you're able to get rid of Eric Bledsoe who they don't want on their team anyway anymore. And so if if you're the Suns, I would do it. And if you're the Magic, I mean. This is the move that you say. All right, this is our team. We're not. We're no longer going to be getting those picks in the lottery. Uh, we're, we're we're trying to actually make a run. And I think that that would that, that type of trade would be something that would be beneficial for both teams. Yeah, I agree. I and I, with that, I'm done with the magic. <laughs> yeah, and I'm and I'm looking at these next two teams. So the the teams I have right now, kind of yes, same records, five and four, and it's the Hornets and 76ers. First with the Hornets. The big signing, quote-unquote, trade, I should say, was Dwight Howard. And just like most people, I was worried about him. But they're, here they are at 5-4. Dwight's time running the team. Kemba Walker is over here just running around screens, as Ethan put it. Is this something that the Hornets are actually getting better now because of this signing? Or is it just other things are happening with the team? As I look at the Hornets, the Batum injury, obviously, that was that was a huge blow to them. People were getting high on the Hornets, and then the Batum injury happened, and then, and then oh, well, maybe they're going to be terrible um, this year. But they've been okay. But if I'm being honest, I I don't know if, if seeing them at 5-4 and four is really a, you know, such a surprise for me. It's like, okay, they're kind of middling middle of the road, and, and maybe if they keep this up, they'll get one of those last spots in the playoffs. I mean, I'm, I'm just not super, like, impressed with what they've been doing. But I guess, you know, Dwight's not ruining the team. That's good. Uh, Kemba Walker doing what he normally does, that's fine as well. I think if Batum comes back and then they actually make an, another step, then I think I begin to become impressed with this Hornets team. But for me, as I look at them, it's like, well, 
this is maybe what I expected. Maybe I expect them to be a little bit worse, but I don't know. Ethan, what do you think? I th- agree with you, and like I'm not surprised that this is their record, but I'm surprised at the way they've done it. Because I'm looking at just some stats, and Malik Monk is leading the team in three-point attempts per game, and he's shooting 32%. And that is surprising to me. I oh, wow. was on the record tweeting that he would be he would blow, walk in the league and already be Jamal Crawford. And I think he's just as good as Jamal Crawford right now. But, like, it's weird because, like, if you would have asked me, I would have had Malik Monk shooting 45% from three, not Jeremy Lamb. And that's what's happening over here. Jeremy Lamb's taking 3.7 attempts per game and doing very well with his minutes from what I can tell. So I think it's more of a – and he's averaging – Jeremy Lamb finally showing some promise. He was part of that James Harden trade. Mm. He's averaging 18 points per game right now. <laughs> Man. Like he, he's finally giving the, the Thunder some return on investment after he's in Charlotte. So, <laughs> oh I mean, like, what I would say is, you know, and also Dwight Howard, you can't expect him to shoot 40% from the free throw line, and that's what he's doing right now. He, he's, like – you should like that. He should be getting, you know, fit at least 50. Come on, Dwight, figure it out. He needs like, to go learn from uh, Andre Drummond right now. Oh, yeah, about 76 percent for the yeah. season. Oh, right. Yes, Indeed. so like that was that's what comes down to me is I'm not surprised by their record, I'm surprised at the way they're getting there. Hmm. Fair enough. Uh, but you also mentioned the 76ers. This is a team that I have actually been impressed with, and they got mm-hmm. off to a slow start, you know, one and four. The whole Mark Hell Fultz. Uh, saga going on there, but then since uh, they've won their last four games, they're five and four now. And Ben Simmons has looked awesome. Joel Embiid, in his limited minutes, has looked awesome as well. Uh, what do you guys make of the 76ers team? I mean, I think right now, I like I like the collection of players that they have. I mean, for the last before Ben Simmons came, before those other guys came, I feel like they were just a bunch of D League players or G League players all put together. But now they actually have a solid team and. When I look at it, sometimes I think to myself, if I had to pick between Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid, sometimes I think I'm nudging more towards Ben Simmons just from what I see. I know how you guys feel. If you had to pick one of those two players to keep or to start a team with, who would you pick? I'm going with Ben Simmons because he's 6'10". He can get anywhere he wants on the floor. And all you have to do is surround him with shooters, and he can be very similar to a LeBron James. And he also doesn't have any health problems that actually scare me. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I would go Embiid if I wasn't worried about the chronic injuries. Like, Ben Simmons' injury, I think, last year, that was his freak incident, and I don't think that he yeah. has that, that real history. I don't think that'll be a problem going forward. But with Embiid, that might be a problem. And and so, health if they're both healthy, Embiid for sure, in my opinion. But Because I think that he's the future of, of the center position in the league. But Ben Simmons, man, he's he's just been owning it from the start. I mean, he's got to be the runaway um, rookie of the year. And also, too, um, J.J. Redick, I feel like, has honestly been a very solid signing from them. I was watching the Pacers versus 76ers game. He still going to run around, get his spots, shoot faded with threes. He's going to make it. And he's a guy standing for a solid one-year deal, so if things don't work out, keep it moving, J.J. Redick. But for me, he's come in and given them what they needed, a veteran presence, someone who can be there, spread the floor, and it makes and it makes this seem very fun to watch. Whereas I'm trying to think of the negative, which is really Markel Fultz. I have no idea what to make of this situation. I don't know if this is something that communication is bad. No one is telling everyone's telling different things. Is Markel Fultz that good? Do we need to wait more? What do you guys think? What can we expect out of this whole Markel Fultz situation? Well, I'm not sure. And I think it's a little bit too early to figure out. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that as they're doing the right thing right now of having him not play and 
try to focus all the attention on Ben Simmons and Embiid playing well. And I think that if I think you just need to have him take a step back like they're doing, and I, it's not something that can't be corrected. And I just hope that they do correct it because that's you know one of the best young and exciting teams uh, going forward, and I, I want to see them do well. Yeah, I'm I'm not worried about Marco Fultz at all. I don't know why I'm not worried about him because he he looked terrible in terms of his shooting form. Just this, I guess this is where I'm sympathizing with him. I've I've been playing pickup basketball since I got into Portland on Saturday mornings, and like my shot is very bad sometimes. It's but it's it's a result of me not being able to get lift in my legs because I'm still like in terms of I'm I'm probably never going to be able to jump like I used to before my ACL injury. And seeing a guy who clearly was not right physically, like doing weird stuff with his arms and stuff, trying to shoot, like as even though mine's a leg problem, his is a shoulder problem. I could relate to that. Like I'm I, when I took take a shot and miss it terribly, I'm like, not me, not me. I'm good. I know I'm good. I make that shot if my legs are healthy. And I feel the same way with Marco Folds. He's on a much you know grander scale, and he's playing in the NBA. And oh, he got traded. Like up for he's this is a big deal you know it's just it's just a weird like you know pressure situation for him I'm not worried about him at all he's a good basketball player and he's gonna be a good basketball player he's gonna come back around and he's gonna be an all star at some point in his career hot takes yeah I think it's I think it's fair enough I think it's fair enough and the last team in the East of recovering we're gonna try not to spend too much time on this one a favorite of Richard Davidson all right. Detroit Ooh. basketball coming in at seven and three. Yes, with 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 wins on back to back games at, in yeah. the Clippers at Clippers and at Golden State. Man, yeah, I'll give him that. Good. That was that was in a little impressive run there. And now, then and then, Mo- and then the trap game with losing to the Lakers, but we don't speak about that. Uh, we don't. That, those never exist. It's a black hole over there. It's a vortex. So Richard, lead us in. What is going right for the Pistons this year? Well, I won't spend much time on it just because we've been talking about the Pistons a lot on this pod because I'm a Pistons fan and, you know, that's the way it happens sometimes. But uh, the way when I look at it, number one, first of all, Reggie Jackson is uh, playing well. He's healthy. Andre Drummond, uh, he had a repaired septum. Um, like He had an issue. Where he couldn't breathe as much last year because he had like a, a deviated septum. And now they fix it the offseason. He can breathe again. He can shoot free throws. And uh-huh. he's giving effort on defense. Yeah, that. he's it's it's really it, it's it's really interesting. And Avery Bradley's come in fit his role, and Tobias Harris has really become the the focal point of our offense. And I think that uh, obviously they're not going to be the second team in the East when it's all said and done. But I do think that they have um, have all the pieces to be a playoff team that maybe could win. I don't know. Maybe 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 win one round if they have you know the five seed or something. But huh. I'm I'm encouraged by what the Pistons have been doing. My one question is how sustainable are some of these percentages from three point land? How is is Langston Galloway going to stay at forty six? Is Harris going to stay at forty five? Is Bradley Bradley going to stay at forty two? I think, meanwhile, Kennard staying at twelve percent. Well, I think that it is sustainable uh, for those guys. First of all, Langston Galloway is, you know, he's hes coming off the bench, but he's not, um, I don't think that he's firing them up in like ridiculous numbers. He, he came to the Pistons on the idea of, okay, he's a defender who can shoot some threes and that that's his role. 
Tobias Harris has been playing really well. He's the only person because uh, this is he's kind of taking a, a little bit of a leap this year because he's getting the opportunity. I'm hoping that it's just because of opportunity and not just because he's happening to just be really hot right now and he's going to cool down. I, I, he's the only one that I worry about it not really being sustainable just because we haven't really seen this from him yet. But I have seen him be be really good offensively before in spurts, in short amounts. And I'm hoping that because of that, it's something that will continue. Okay, fair enough. I just wonder because I, I, I just know as a, a Tobias Harris fan, as he was one of my favorite 2K players because I could <laughs> play him at the four before like small ball became cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just know he uh, he misses all the big shots on 2K, so I was just a little worried about it. <laughs> well, I wouldn't I wouldn't read too much into 2K. They have him as a 78 on 2K. Come on, 2K, let's let's hey, fix that. Hey, it just got updated. He's an 82 now. Okay, thank yeah. you, thank you, thank you. He's an 80, he's an 82. All right, so right now, um, I'm moving past teams that we've just been surprised but doing good. I'm looking at disappointing teams in the Eastern Conference. Two teams that stood out, both from the Central Division, are the Cavaliers and the Bucks. With the Cavaliers, I'm probably not as disappointed with the Cavaliers because of them getting new pieces, them bringing in Isaiah Thomas, Dwayne Wade, and moving pieces around. And we know the defense wasn't going to be that good. But I'm actually more disappointed in the Bucks and the Cavaliers. Which one of those two teams for you guys are more disappointing, Cavaliers or Bucks? Well, based on the start of the season with the Bucks and Giannis just being so like fiery and everyone hot, like hot taking their MVP votes already, it's got to be the Bucks because they haven't sustained their success. And when I look at this team, I still like the same problem. I, I don't know if I mentioned it because you know I, for, I I just say things and forget about them. Um, I still don't see their second and third creators on this team, really. If you're, if you're relying on Malcolm Brogdon to be a, a dynamic scorer and facilitator, you're do, look, doing it wrong. And if you're relying on Chris Milton to be anything than a catch-and-shoot or one dribble-and-shoot kind of player, you're really not using him in his greatest strengths. So until Jabari Parker is back healthy, you lack a facilitator that also has the threat to score. And I think that's the problem they're having offensively. And defensively, they are giving up the second highest three-point percentage in the league. Goodness. So that might not be sustainable. Usually that's not an incredibly uh, telling stat, especially this early in the season. You're playing against a team that's shooting well one one mm-hmm. game. Could, could skew your results. And they're middle of the road in terms of attempts allowed. So, like, I, I, I'm not terrified of that that development. It just when it comes down to it, I don't know where their uh, production comes from if it's not Giannis. And as we've seen with the LeBron-led team back in 2007, you can sometimes get to the finals. You can sometimes be a really good team. But are you really going to win anything if one guy does everything? Man, yeah, I, I, I worry for them a little bit. You know, you hope – I don't know when Gerard Parker's going to come back. But, you know, with his knees, I don't know how you can – totally say, okay, he's going to come back. He's going to be the same player that he was or continue making progressions like he was. I, I do worry for them a little bit because I wonder if they're just becoming too Giannis focused. And, uh, you know, that was a team that when you when we looked at their record, it's like, whoa, wh- wh- they are way worse of a record than we thought they should be because of all that buzz that they had at the beginning of the season. They got off to a good start. But since then, they have, you know, they have three straight losses to the Thunder, the Hornets, and the Pistons. And they at their next coming, their next game 
on Tuesday. Maybe this is this should be our um, Eastern Conference disappointment team bowl. The the Cavs and the Bucks play each other, and so that's going to happen this Tuesday. Um, and I'm interested to see what what's going to come from that because, as you're saying, their three point defense is not good. There's a team that wants to rain threes down. It's the Cavs, and uh, I, I just wonder defensively from from that game from both these teams. You know, I I, I don't know. I, I just I'm. I'm hesitant because I, I think that they're gonna fi- they're gonna both figure it out. They'll be they'll both be in the playoffs, and I think they'll both be good by the end of the season. Right at the beginning, the Cavs defense has been terrible. The Bucks just you would expect them to have won more games. I think that you're right, Ethan. They just after Giannis, who is it? And I don't know. I guess we'll have to see. And I feel you on that one. And as far as the Cavs, I honestly don't have much to say about the Cavs. Besides, it's pretty much just. LeBron and trying to him trying to fit the pieces together. And with the Cavs, I'm just like, when the playoffs come, that's when I'll really start worrying about them a lot more. But that, that's just the mentality I have when it comes to the Cavs. Ethan, do you have a different mentality when it comes to that? No, but I have an interesting thought because both these teams don't have very much on the def- – like, I think the Bucks more so have defensive players on the perimeter when it comes to Brogdon. Yeah. And even Del Vidovin just getting in the way. Um, a really good defensive point guard in his heyday with the Clippers was Eric Bledsoe. Mm-hmm. And um, both these teams, it would make some sense for them to look to acquire him. And I, I guess the question I'm asking is, how much is either of these teams willing to give up to maybe acquire a Bledsoe? I mean, obviously the, the Cavs have an Isaiah Thomas that's going to be getting healthy at some point in the season. Yeah. But if you're the Bucks, wouldn't Eric Bledsoe be an interesting fit there? Um, alongside of Giannis because he can catch and shoot yeah. and he can facilitate a little bit. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking the Bucks might – I don't know. They might make more of a push because I feel like if the Cavs do go for it, they're going to have to give – they're going to have to clear up some backcourt space as far as players because their backcourt to me is going to get way too crowded with Calderon, Derrick Rose, Dwayne Wade, Isaiah Thomas, and J.R. Smith. I feel like you have too much there. So, obviously, in a package deal, you're going to have to give up some of those guys. Mm-hmm. So then, so then I'm, I'm looking at what type of, what type of trade package you put together. Um, uh, and I'm trying to come up with one right now, but Richard, you might have an idea as far as what you see, which team needs it most. Well, I don't see the Cavs pulling, being able to do it just because like you said, the, the roster they've assembled and they're expecting Isaiah Thomas to come back at some point in time. But the Cavs do have something that the, that the uh, Phoenix Suns would want. And that would be the first round pick of the Brooklyn Nets. Yep. And I don't know if, again, we're at this point where LeBron has not said, I'm going to stick around. And the Cavs are like, well, LeBron, we maybe we'll trade if you're willing to stay. But I feel like there's going to be this non-communication between them and out in the open of what they're going to do. And so it really comes down to, well, what do the Cavs want to try to – what do they want to do? Do they want, do they want to try to go out and get someone? I think that you could you could definitely find the salary and then attach that Brooklyn pick to make it happen. It's just a matter of is that something that the Cavs are willing to do? Is that a risk they're willing to take for this year at the expense of their future? And I, I'm not sure. For as far as the Bucks go, I, I think that would be they would be more likely to make a trade, but I don't know what the pieces would be. I guess you'd have to look at it, but um I don't know. I feel like the Bucks are going to stay pat as well, and I think that the Cavs at this point aren't willing to do it uh, just because they don't know. 
the problem with all these different types of trade partners is when when you're looking to deal an asset like you a lot of times you want those expiring contracts in return mm-hmm. and like the bucks only big time expiring contracts are a jabari parker that's a no-go and a greg monroe and i think greg monroe is probably a little too important to this team in terms of second second line scoring um yeah so the Bucks don't have like a lot of avenues unless they're the the Suns are willing to take on like a John Henson and a Delva Delva and or a Tolenovich, which I wouldn't want to get rid of Tolenovich because he can shoot. He's already but, spent spent time but, in Phoenix. But if but if you're the Bucks, are you willing to pay Jabari big money? Why, why not throw him out there? I mean, if if unless you're willing to fork over all that money this year, I, I don't know. Because the Heat better give up the entire roster to get Jabari Parker. <laughs> Oh my okay, god. There you go. There you go. Uh, no, seriously. They, like this this is a thing I was working on last year before the Bucks like you know, the Bucks weren't in the playoffs the whole season. They they kind of made a surge at the end to like really throw themselves together. Mm-hmm. I was talking amid the, the pummeling we were taking, as soon as Jabari got hurt, I'm like, we need to find a way to trade for him while he's hurt or something. Just get him on the roster. Because him and Hassan, power forward center combo. That'd be glorious. I I, I I cannot. I mean, I, I do think that would fit really nicely over there. But uh, I don't know. Uh, we'll get rid of Kelly Olenek. Oh, man. I, I don't know if that's happening anytime soon. But at least decrease his <laughs> role. At least minimize his role. Well, if we can circle back to the Nets, because we have talked about their pick and the Cavs' assets. I'm curious if you guys have any opinions on what their team's been doing. They they have an interesting style of play. They run, 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 and shoot, 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 and they don't really do a whole lot of things particularly well. But a guy um, I've been interested in seeing, especially since um, Jeremy Lin went down with injury, Man. is the one D'Angelo Russell and how he's played with the uh, the spotlight fully on him again. He's taking 17 shots a game. He's only shooting 44% from the field and 29.5% from three. His percentages aren't there, but like the games I've watched, I like like his swagger about the court. He's getting 21 points per game. He's make, getting to the free throw line a little bit. Um, tell me what you guys think. What are you guys seeing from this guy? Well, I mean, Ethan, you and I know we both have him on fantasy and he's been getting buckets <laughs> on fantasy at least. And so I, but for, for them, I think that, you know, he, especially with Jeremy Lin going down, you've got to basically just give him the keys and say, all right, go and go and do your thing. And I think that uh, obviously he's going to be making some mistakes. He's going to take a lot of shots uh, and, and miss a lot. But at the same time, he's at least making life exciting for those that are over in Brooklyn. And, and I'm sure that there are Lakers fans saying, wait a minute, we, we, we gave him up and and are experiencing maybe a little bit of regret just because Lonzo hasn't really done it quite as much. But I do th- I do think that, um, you know, they're going to try to just run and gun, like you said, all, all year. And I think that he'll he'll find uh, he'll find the basket sometimes. Sometimes he'll miss, but I think he'll make it interesting. Does it hurt you to see Spencer Dimwitty having a, a decent season? Yeah, oh, yeah it's like, man, goodness. come on. Stan, Stan Van Gundy drafted him and then I think was kind of pressured and forced into, okay, he hasn't worked out yet, and so they got rid of him. And now he's the backup point guard. Uh, that the Pistons would have loved. I mean, obviously, Ish Smith's been great. But, yeah, it, I'm glad to see him doing well. But it's like, man, why couldn't we have held on to him? Just one year extra. And yeah, By percentages, he's having a really good season from three, yes. averaging three and a half mm-hmm. shots, three attempts per game, getting 40, 
I mean, that's just what that's almost exactly what you want as a uh, from a point guard, just a guy who exactly. can catch and shoot. And he's at, he's getting five five assists a game. That's he's matching D'Angelo Russell's in that way in mm-hmm. a, in less minutes per game. Yeah. So I, I just want to throw in some 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 salt in the wound over there because that's okay. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we need some salt in the wound. We need some humility over Detroit right now. Like, All right, I so get, I do have one thing to say though. So I don't know how much we how good we expect them to be where we are. So last four games. They lost against the Lakers, the New York Knicks, the Suns, and Denver. Where we see him, I know we're talking about Daniel Russell, where we see the team. Should we expect him to be worse than these four teams, or we expect him to be better than some of these teams? I think they should have been better than all but the Nuggets and those names, teams you just mentioned. But you can't rule out the fact that Brooke Lopez had a revenge game. Nets' mm-hmm. career-leading scorer in po- like total points – had to get, give the, give the Nets some buckets for a change. So, he did. He did. So you know, I some some of these games, like I try not to like, dive into too much into like these small sample sizes, which this, this entire pod is based on. But yeah. I don't know. Like, I just think the Nets are going to figure some things out, and I think they have the right idea. And like you know, getting up as many shots as possible just to increase your chances of you know making more. And their percentages, I think, have a chance to rise. Like I think D'Angelo Russell's a better than. 29% three-point shooter. And yeah. if you look at the rest of their team, like, I mean, yeah, Spencer Dimway at 46, like, that's probably a little high. Joe Harris at 38, like, that's probably close to him. And then Carol and Crabb at 37, like, those are all sustainable percentages. I think the biggest difference is Karis LeVert is taking four, and he's shooting 22%. So, like, if you just get some of these guys who are taking these shots and missing them, if they just get up to, like, what you would expect from them, like, this team can be an effective offense. Because it's not like Rondé Hollis-Jefferson is chucking threes. He's taking basically one per game. And that's about, like, what Justice Winslow does. And they're very similar players, left-handed 6-6 power forwards. Yeah, and, and if you look at them, their wins they have, they have wins against the Cleveland Cavaliers. They have wins against the unbeatable Orlando Magic and then obviously the terrible Atlanta Hawks. But like their style of play is going to lead to some, you know, some bot- – they're gonna be like, how did they win that game? And then also it's like, okay, well, why did they lose to that team? And so I feel like with the with the way that they're playing, it's going to lead to some like be inconsistent ex- uh, like inconsistent with your expectations for the box scores. Like they may have some – like how are you winning that and how are you losing there? Yeah, they are fourth in defensive, fourth worst in defensive rating at 111.8 points per 100 possessions. Ooh. So yeah, that's not great. But guess who's worse than them? The Cavs, Wolves, and Suns. <laughs> so you know we'll probably get in the Wolves with our next pod talking about Western Conference teams. But yeah, like the the, the unique thing is though they are once again leading the league in pace based per Basketball mm-hmm. Reference. So. You know, they're giving themselves a, an offensive chance, I guess. And um, when a lot of times when you lead the league in pace, you're often to have a lot of turnovers, and they are they have the sixth lowest turnover percentage. So how about yeah. that? Wouldn't yeah. have guessed that. And I think that as the season goes on, as teams begin to more deliberately tank, they're not a team who wants to, and so they'll pick up more wins in the second half of the season than the first. And so anyways, yeah, I, I think that's kind of going to be there. Their role. So, I'll, yeah, go ahead. I have one. Like, I'm just on basketball reference. And this is under miscellaneous stats, and it's the attendance counter. And it has the Mavericks and Heat leading the league in attendance. I, I, this got to be just because we've had more home games than people, right? Because the American Airlines Elite Arena in either location, I have not seen sold out yet this year. 
So I'm skeptical. Is say. that like actual attendance or purchase tickets? Because yeah, that could be it. Yeah, that probably purchase. Probably. <laughs> I, I just, it's just one of those like random things. Like, oh, I wonder what this is over here. What? <laughs> Mavericks yeah. at Heat? Stop. American Airlines, you're getting your money's worth on this sponsorship <laughs> right here. Goodness. Well, if uh, anyone have anything else to add before we throw it to our hero ball quote? I'm done. No, no. All right. Well, with with that being said, since we since we finished on the Brooklyn Nets, why don't we go to D'Angelo Russell himself for our hero ball quote of the week? This week, he said this: "I went through a lot. Kobe's farewell, everything. I went through a lot. So just to overcome that, I salute myself for that." 